Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Lessons for Living. His word so fresh in our hearts abound. His word made flesh in the here and now. A new life is beginning. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. He didn't go to the street and say, okay, guys, these guys are going to kill me. Let's get a thing and we're going to go and pick it. No, he just kept doing good. He didn't come to destroy those people who were so burdened. He says, hey, come unto me, all you that labor and heavy burden, I'll give you rest. And the people went, ah, finally. No religion, no rules, relationship. He came not to discourage, but to encourage Jesus said the Son of Man did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. In other words, Jesus came to encourage, not to discourage. In today's message, Pastor Mark continues drawing a sharp contrast between the Jewish leaders and Jesus. Jesus didn't lay upon those around him another set of rules and regulations to follow. And with those who wanted to kill him, he didn't gather an army and lead a rebellion. Instead, he offered them hope. Come unto me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. He offered not rules, but a relationship. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of this broadcast. Now, here's Pastor Mark with his continuing study entitled, Rest in Freedom from Religion and Tradition. So it is the Sabbath. And Mark tells us that on this day, they had set Jesus up and they were looking to see what he was going to do. Notice it says, will he heal on the Sabbath? Did the Pharisees believe that Jesus could heal? Yes. Jesus' enemies believed Jesus could heal. You know what? I find lots of churches today that call themselves Christians that don't believe Jesus still heals. That's a little ironic, isn't it? That the enemies of Jesus knew he could heal, but the churches of many churches of Tapia, well, Jesus doesn't heal anymore. That was dead and done in those days. I'm glad this morning Jesus still heals. Now, do I understand it all? Never. But I know he heals. Let me ask you, when's the last time you prayed for somebody to be healed? See, I could say, oh, I believe Jesus heals. When's the last time you prayed for somebody to be healed? I want to challenge you this morning. Don't be less than the enemy of Jesus. They believe Jesus healed. By the way, Jesus can heal your marriage. He can heal you from addictions. He's the healer. Well, in this setup, let me ask you. Here's a man that probably from birth, we don't know, but probably from birth has a shriveled hand. Let me ask you, is a shriveled hand life and death? No. He's had it how long? His whole life. So it's not life and death. So if Jesus heals him, is Jesus in trouble? Say yes. 
By the way, Jesus is always in trouble. He loved it. I imagine the disciples went, here we go again, watch. I love it. So the Pharisees no doubt set this man up. Here's something else, and I think it's a challenge to all of us. This man had been probably been coming to the synagogue his whole life and never healed. Why? Pharisees didn't believe in the power themselves. Isn't that interesting? They just had ritual. You see, the, it's interesting that these Pharisees are simply looking for a reason to accuse. They're negative. They're judgmental. They're focused on the don'ts of life. There's nothing positive in their life. And because of that, nobody wants to be around them. They're always looking to accuse. And nobody wanted to be around them. By the way, if you're negative and always the nose of life and judgmental and nitpicking and nothing's ever right, eventually, you'll be a very lonely person. You spew this junk on people. And pretty soon, no one wants to be around you either. Well, these Pharisees, you know what they were. They, they were these four things. Cynics, nitpickers, fault finders, and the last one, sin. <laughs> but as you look at those, if it was you, you wouldn't want to be around you. And so there's this incredible contrast between this kind of attitude and lifestyle and Jesus. Lesson number three, Jesus concentrated on the yeses of life and people loved to be around him. One of the greatest things you can do is be a yes person. If you're going to be like Jesus, you will be a yes person. Oh, it doesn't mean we don't correct people. It doesn't mean any of that. But our attitude is positive. We're looking at the good things God's done. You see, and when I'm like that, people are around me. You need to have friends. We've learned from the health field and obviously from the spiritual field. You, you need to have friends. Not Family's important, but not just family. When's the last time you went out with another couple? A, a, a group of people. You singles. Just having fun. See, you need to do that. You need to enjoy life. You need to be around people. If you're a yes person, people want to be around you and you want to be around them. Make sure you're out doing that. It's healthy for us. It says that the people love to be around Jesus. Go out with somebody new today. Invite them out. Invite them out tonight. And when you get to the restaurant and, and the waitress comes to your table, go like this. Cynic. Nitpicker. Just go through the whole list and just blow her out of the water. It'll set the tone for the whole restaurant. It'll be incredible. She'll go to the boss and say, can I have another table? Those guys are idiots over in that corner right there. But see, sometimes we don't laugh at life enough. And Jesus loved life because he loved people. Well, what would he do? Look at verse 11. He said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? He says, give me a break. You're going to now accuse me, but I can guarantee you if I followed you home, Pharisee, and one of your, your wife calls and says, your sheep's falling in the ditch. Life-threatening? No. Would you pick it up? Yes, for sure you'd pick it up. So see, he knows this. So he just says to them, an important principle, how much more valuable is a man than sheep? 
Here's the key. You might want to underline your Bible. Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. See, the Sabbath was made for the well-being of man. They destroyed it. Verse 13. Mark tells us that he asked the man to come right down front in the synagogue. Right down front. And Jesus said to the man in verse 13, stretch out your hand. Here's lesson number four. Faith is required to receive God's blessings. See, Jesus could have said to the man in the back of the, back of the synagogue, you're healed. Man wouldn't have had to do a thing, but he didn't do it. He asked for the man to come down front, and then he says, I'm going to heal you, but you have to do your part. I want you to obey. I want you to believe. I want you to understand that I can touch you. If you'll believe it and you'll obey me, and if you'll stretch out your hand, it'll work. Remember, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Jesus spoke it. He says, if you'll stretch out your hand, if you'll stretch it out as you do, I'll heal it. Now tell me, if you've been like this all your life, would stretching it out be difficult? How about stretching it out down here in front of all the people? I'm thinking this guy's looking at this hand and going, if this don't work, I'm an idiot. He's probably privately said this, you know, I tried to do that many a time privately. Well, faith is a substance of things not yet seen. See what... What if he doesn't stretch his hand out? What do you think would have happened? Jesus says, stretch out your hand. He goes, I don't think so. How do you think the man would have left the synagogue? Just like this. Same way he came in. That challenges me. How many times in my life had God challenged me to stretch out my hand? And I refused to do it. And I lost out on what God wanted to do in my life. Guys, we have to be people of faith. We have to be people of faith. Very often God asks us to take a step of faith. And you can't think, oh, what happens when other people think? No, you obey God. I have to obey God. So as he works all that through in his mind, and you know the battle is in our mind, it says, verse 13, then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he, he stretched it out. And it was 70% restored. Incredible. (laughs) He did it. He did it. And he went, wow, look at that. I couldn't do that before. I couldn't even touch my forehead. No, it wasn't 70%. It was completely restored just like the other one. Wow. How can that happen? If you just stuck your hand out and it matched and it all your life it's been like that, you're going, how great is your... Man, we forget how great God is, don't we? We forget. Worship reminds him because it comes from our heart. Lesson number five. Following Jesus expands life and brings joy and freedom. See, his life had been shriveled. He couldn't work normally. His family life wasn't normal. He couldn't play ball and stuff with his kids normally. But because of God's power, his life was expanded. And he would go home a different man that day. He would go back to his family, to work, to his relatives, to his friends. He would have rest. He would have joy. 
he would have peace. Incredible. Incredible. But look at verse 14. By the way, in your Bibles, you might just run a ride in verse 14. Pivotal verse. Pivotal verse. But the Pharisees, after seeing this miracle, went out and plotted how they may kill Jesus. These religious leaders were so condemning, they were so negative, they were so judgmental because he'd worked a miracle. You know what? They were working a miracle. They were plotting his death on the Sabbath. But they didn't see their fault. This is a pivotal verse because the Pharisees would not stop until what you see in verse 14 happened. Jesus would be killed. They would see to it. This shows us, in spite of this incredible miracle, how hard their hearts had become. Lesson number six, continued rejection of Jesus leads to a hard heart and spiritual darkness. How did their hearts get hard? Time after time after time, they saw miracles. They were given scripture by Jesus today. They saw an incredible miracle, and yet their mind wasn't on the miracle. Their mind was on their own religion. It's going downhill. It's full of judgment. They're concerned that their value is going down and Jesus' value going up. We got to take care of the guy. We got to get rid of him. How does your heart get hard? Here's how it gets hard. Every time you hear the word of God and God speaks to you and you reject it, your heart gets hard. Do you know why there's divorces today? One reason. Jesus said, because of their hard hearts. You see, I'm speaking the word to you. God's correcting all of us gently. I can listen to it and not do anything about it. Some of you need to become a Christian today. But if you don't respond, the next time God speaks, the heart's a little more calloused. I want you to show you vividly how that works. Just take your fingers, put them in your ears. And I want you to listen to me speak. What do you hear? You say, well, no kidding. So you can do that at home watching by the internet. Oh, it's a nice service. Man, I like this. It's great. You can just see church. I don't have to get out of my chair. Cool. This is wonderful. Great. God's speaking to me. Oh, cool. Time to turn off the altar calls. Come. Off we go. And what happens? Our heart gets hard. Oh, it doesn't happen like this. It happens like this. So these Pharisees got so hardened. They watch a man who walks in like this and walks out like this and everybody's around. The family's having excitement. And they go, how do we kill the guy? These are the religious leaders. Satan is incredibly powerful. Verse 15, aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. Many followed him, and he healed all their sick, warning them not to tell who he was. Lesson number seven, be encouraged. God is all-knowing. You see, Jesus didn't have to know what they said. He already knew in their hearts what they were doing. Do you know that God knows in your heart right now what you're saying, what you're thinking? 
He knew the thoughts of his enemies. He simply withdrew. It was not time for a showdown. Jesus had more training for his disciples. He wanted to continue to show the people of Israel the difference between religion and that relationship and freedom and bondage between exhaustion and rest. He wasn't going to make a show of it. People continued to swarm around him. Why? Because he was a yes person. He was a positive person. He focused on the yeses of life. Verse 17, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Why did Jesus withdraw? Why did he do that? Well, lesson number eight, all biblical prophecy will be fulfilled. You see, 700 years ago, Isaiah said, here's kind of what Jesus is going to be like. Here's his nature. Here's his character. The religious leaders knew this prophecy, but they didn't believe it. They knew it, but they didn't believe it. And that brings up lesson number nine. Freedom and rest come from knowing the truth and obeying the truth. You see, if I only know it and I don't obey it, there's no freedom. The truth will set you free, but the truth won't set you free unless you believe and practice the truth. So Jesus goes on, look at verse 18. Here is my servant whom I've chosen, the one I love. This is the prophecy from Isaiah. In other words, Jesus would be a servant. God would love him. We saw that at Jesus' baptism. In whom I delight, I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not stuff out till he leads justice to victory. Barclay says this, the reed may be bruised and hardly able to stand erect. The wick may be weak and the light may be but a flicker. A man's witness may be shaky and weak, the light of his life, but a flicker and not a flame. But Jesus didn't come to discourage. He came to encourage. He did not come to treat the weak with contempt but with understanding. He did not come to extinguish the weak flame, but to nurse it back to clear and stronger light. The most precious thing about Jesus is the fact that he's not a great discourager. He's the great encourager. That's why he didn't fight. He didn't go to the street and say, okay, guys, these guys are going to kill me. Let's get a thing and we're going to go and pick it. No, he just kept doing good. He didn't come to destroy those people who were so burdened. He says, hey, come unto me, all you that labor heavy burden, I'll give you rest. And the people went, ah, finally. No religion, no rules, relationship. He came not to discourage, but to encourage. Verse 21, in his name, the nations, or more literally the Gentiles, will put their hope. That's number 10, hope which is defined as the expectation of something good, can only be found in Jesus. You see, in his name comes healing, comes salvation, comes joy. As we walk with him, life is to be abundant. It's to be incredible. It's to be fulfilling. It's to be rest. Jesus, through Luke, said this, There is salvation in no one else. There is no other name in all heaven for people to call on to save them. It's Jesus. And let's see what we've learned. Number one, we've learned that if we stay yoked to Jesus, we'll live an incredible life of blessing. 
He came to give mankind hope. He came to encourage us to put our faith and trust in him. He came so that, well, I can live life to the max. I'd have abundant joy. But here's what I've discovered. For many Christians, their life has shriveled. Oh, they used to have an incredible zeal for God. It, it was exciting. They were serving. They were in all kinds of things, but somehow life came and just... It just sucked out the joy of their walk with God. Maybe their life has been shriveled by sin. Or maybe hurts of the past. Maybe someone in your past took advantage of you, physically or financially. Maybe you've been hurt in a... In a church. Maybe you're in a relationship. It's miserable. Maybe you're divorced this morning. It wasn't your fault. Or maybe it was. And maybe your life has been shriveled today because of some kind of addiction. Maybe you've come from a background of a church just filled with rules and regulations and ritual. And there was never any peace and any joy and any rest. And you feel guilty. It's a life that God wants, and you go, I'm not sure that's right. Because I was beat on so much in my life. It can't be right, can it? You've always been rejected in your life. You just don't feel you have any worth. How dare you think that? You're created in the nature, in the image of God. And life somehow has just shriveled many of us. Our hearts shriveled. You see, that man's hand was shriveled, but the hearts of the Pharisees had shriveled. And that which we used to enjoy, our walk with God, and you just look at being yoked with God. Man, you remember when it was exciting to get up in the morning. But now you, if at best you put it on and you do your religious deal, and you want God to come because there's just no zeal or power or life, or enjoyment. Today, you're focusing on the nose of life instead of a joy. And your fulfilled life is just, well, it's shriveled to picture of what it used to be. God wants to change it. I can't. He can. He came to give you life to the max and to live in his strength and his power. But all of us from time to time just allow the joy to go out of us. And the zeal for God, we're not even serving Him anymore. It's time for you to stretch forth your hand and watch God totally restore your life. And when He does, it's not 70%. It's 100%. And He'll put peace and joy and excitement and the yeses of life back in. Where is true peace, rest, and freedom found? Is it found in rules and regulations and religious traditions? In today's message from the book of Matthew, Pastor Mark reminded us that true peace and rest can only be found in one place, Jesus Christ. Faith is important. Knowing and obeying the truth is important. 
But most of all, looking for hope only in Jesus is the only way to find true, lasting peace and freedom. You've been listening to Lessons for Living, the teaching ministry of Mark Balmer of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. Each day here on Lessons for Living, we share messages that Pastor Mark taught at the main campus in Melbourne. Maybe you're listening right now in Brevard County and you don't have a home church. And today's message was exactly what you were looking for. Join us for worship. We meet at the Melbourne and Vieira campuses on Saturday night at 6 p.m. and Sunday morning at 8.30 and 10.45 a.m. And those in the Sebastian area can join us Sunday mornings at 10.45 a.m. For more information, call us toll-free at 866-779-3441. That's 866-779-3441. Or log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com and follow the link to the church website. Many people forget that we live in the midst of two kingdoms in conflict. We need to be more aware of the reality of the war going on all around us. Next time on Lessons for Living, Pastor Mark will remind us that there are really only two kingdoms, the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of God. The Bible says that Satan came to steal, kill, and destroy. But one thing we can remember, Jesus is always more powerful than Satan. We've run out of time today, but we do encourage you to tune in next time as Pastor Mark will continue teaching through the Gospel of Matthew. That's next time on Lessons for Living. Our eyes have seen and our ears have heard His Word made flesh in a hurting world A new hope He is given